Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge Day 40. So, gosh, we're still on the upslope. We still have so far to go. And therefore, the good news is if you are not yet a flawless writer, if you still in your most honest, self-reflective moments gaze upon your works and discern that there may just yet be some room for improvement, we have plenty of time left to educate you, arm you with robust skills and toughen you up so you pop out the other end of this process, a sort of literary super soldier. If you've found parts of this course so far tricky, if you've had times where you felt as if you were being to operate at a level beyond that at which you feel qualified, if sometimes you felt a bit silly, a little bit of a fraudster, like a like an imposter, fantastic. Those moments are where you've been making the biggest gains. Without training muscles to failure, we don't stimulate them to grow because they don't need to grow because if you could do everything with them that you already needed to, you'd be strong enough already. Ever heard the adage, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail? Well, you should plan to fail. Failure is essential. If you fail to fail, you're failing to learn. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of setting tiny goals, you know, ticking them off, getting that little dopamine hit and building momentum. But momentum is hugely overrated. I mean, don't forget that in the creative arts, when we talk about momentum, it's just a metaphor. You're not literally bound by the laws of Newtonian physics. Well, you are. You can't presumably pass through walls or reverse entropy. But I mean, they don't actually apply to your creative practice in absolute ways. We're just talking about them in a form of shorthand. You know, you can actually turn up one morning, any morning, and just explosively restart. You know, zero to 100, boom. Momentum is is mostly a myth. And there's something to be said for learning to embrace failure, pain, sadness, accepting them not just as inevitabilities, but as an enriching part of the wholeness of human experience. Even every novel and every movie is a failure. I truly believe that. Novels and movies are just too hard and too complex to ever do perfectly. And I think that's great. So to really thrive as creative practitioners, part of what we need to do is is practice failing. I'm going to harp on about this in the days and weeks ahead because it's really the heart of the matter and it's the glowing gem you can carry out of your writing practice into the rest of your life. It's wonderful and transformative and you, as a fantastic, valuable human being, deserve that wonder and freedom. So um, maybe let's just start doing something about it right now, eh? Central to the popular conceptions of a writer's experience of failure is the rejection letter. That's kind of like the mythic beast that we all face, right? That's actually talked about before we really discuss any of the more minor common failures that you experience in writing is, uh, oh, such and such built up a collection. I heard they got rejected everywhere. I heard they had a whole suitcase of rejection letters, the mythic rejection letter. Now, Personally, I find it really hard to say no to things. I'm one of those annoying flake artists who says, oh, OK, I'll, I'll check whether I can do that. Then I, I don't get back because I'm anxious about letting whoever it is down. Till eventually they chase me up the day before and I have to be like, oh, no, nope, sorry, I'm too busy. Or I make up some lie about a, a, a sudden illness. It's like, why wasn't I honest straight away? And look, I'm not showing off about this or presenting it as a, a sort of quirky personality trait is definitely something I'm trying to get better at you know I'm not proud I'm just being honest with you because we're friends 
So today we're going to continue our theme of all the things we cannot say and practice the art of saying no by writing a rejection letter. Someone, for some reason, is turning something down. Could be explained to someone else why they didn't get the job. Could be declining an invitation to a fancy dinner party. Could be letting a dear friend know why the letter writer isn't going to be coming on that backpacking trip they've been planning for six months. Could be a romantic brush-off. Could be even an agent or editor turning down a writer. The swine. Now, of course, the letter doesn't have to be honest. Or rather, as with some of the scenarios we've practised in previous days, the person writing the letter doesn't have to be direct. They could be making up all sorts of excuses, maybe because they don't want to hurt the person's feelings or because the other person is more powerful than them. Imagine, for example, a knight responding to a king who has requested that she go slay a dragon. Or maybe it's because they've done something that they want to hide. But so this exercise isn't over in just one sentence. Sorry, I'm busy. You'll need to invent some pretext as to why the letter writer is going into a bit of detail. You know, maybe the person they're writing to wasn't satisfied with their first shorter answer. This isn't the first letter that they've had to respond to. Maybe they genuinely like this person and want to let them down easy. So they're going to tiptoe around the home truths a little bit. Or maybe they're going the other way. Maybe they're sick of getting requests like this and they're going to make an example of this person by chewing them out. Maybe the letter writer is incredibly vain and they imagine every letter they write as one day existing in an archive of their correspondence. So they always compose elaborate, pompous replies to the smallest of inquiries. Think about the voice of this character writing the letter. Do you know, do they use long flowing sentences full of florid languages? Is their tone very informal and full of in-jokes that show they know the person they're writing to really well? Are there things that they mention? He's never been the same since that business with the buffalo that we don't have the context for, but the writer and the recipient do, and they suggest a larger world outside the immediate context of the letter. Now, don't worry if you don't manage to finish this entire letter and, uh, and don't work too hard in advance. Puzzling it out is my advice. You know, if you can even start with an imaginary address, if you like, you know, you could just um, write out somebody's address. Some people find that an incredibly useful, grounding sort of on-ramp into the letter itself. But once you get to dear and then a name, or it might even open with a, a hi or a very blunt, blunt sir. This might not be a physical letter. It might be an email. You know, and then it might start sir, like a letter to the times. Once you get there and then you write your first line, I think once you hit that first line, you'll start to have a thread that you can pull on. And rather than, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, but rather than planning the story in advance, you're going to deduce the full story from the way the person opens the letter. After that, all you have to do is listen and write down what the person says. Right, so a 10-minute rejection letter um, where the person is being a little bit indirect. Ready? Three, two, one, go.
and you are done. Now, I don't know how far you got with the letter and whether the person was still dilly-dallying or whether they'd rounded things up. Again, like part of the point of this is getting you to play with gaps. Epistemological lacunae, as we pretentious literary types call them when we're feeling insecure and want to perform our erudition at each other. It's fun when a character's speech swerves to, like, avoid invisible shapes. And after a while, in enough swerves, we start to get a sense of what some of those invisible shapes might be. And that's very addictive for humans reading this, right? Pattern recognition from incomplete data sets. Such and such a character goes quiet every time they mention the island in the middle of the boating lake. You know, what's going on there? It's such a simple technique that you might worry it's a bit too blunt for fiction. You know, it's a bit too obvious. It's a bit too formulaic. But just try it because you'd be amazed, maybe even disappointed at how effective it is. Any incomplete pattern, any two points of information that imply an arc towards a third. My goodness, we as pattern creating storytelling machines just eat that nonsense up. Hence the classic creative writing adage that I think I've avoided saying up until now. Show, don't tell. This is one of the reasons why it's so important. The payoff for readers is connecting the dots, reading between the lines, squinting just right and making the implied pattern or an implied pattern, doesn't have to be the one you're thinking of, come into focus. If you try to do that for them, if you try and just connect the dots for them and spell it all out for them, it's like handing the reader a colouring book with all the pages already scribbled on. Okie dokie, I think we're done here for today. Thank you for your work. Well done. I shall see you tomorrow. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.